0: most common question I get asked during Holy Week is about this night, the Thursday before Easter. People get Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter, but tonight, Monday, Thursday is sometimes unclear. And the one thing people want to know most, because clearly they do know how to have a senior pastor like ours who gives the definition before the preacher, for the evening is going to give it, is what does Monday mean? And if you were paying attention, you already know. It's a good question though. Um, Who uses the term Monday in their daily life? For those um, outside the church, and even for those of us inside, it might just sound like a church service where we know we should want to go, but we have no idea why. But before I talk about what this day means and what the word means, I want to go back to the story that Ben read from the Gospel of John. Now, climbing the stairs to the upper room that Thursday night, the disciples were almost giddy with excitement. I mean, who could blame them? In their minds, everything was going as planned. On Sunday, they had entered Jerusalem in triumph, as crowds lined the streets cheering Jesus as the long expected Messiah. On Monday, Jesus shut down the commercialized temple and no one dared to stop him. On Tuesday and Wednesday, he silenced scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. All who tried to do him in, ended up being done in themselves. Gathering around the table, they never anticipated What they were about to experience. They assumed that the revolution that would finally free them from Roman domination had just begun. Then, at last, Jesus the Messiah would establish the kingdom of God and rule the nations. Certainly, the events of the week set the stage for that to happen. They all took their places and they anxiously awaited Jesus's orders. But then, Jesus rose from his place, he walked across the room, he poured water from a pitcher into a basin, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and then one by one he began to wash the disciples' feet as he told them, give me your feet. It had to be done, even a short walk in the city or a day's journey on a dusty rocky road um, in Palestine, it really had to be done. So a pitcher, a basin, and a towel were standard equipment in every home. But foot washing was a do-it-yourself kind of affair. The act itself is so demeaning that a rabbi who could demand that his disciples do anything that he pleased could not ask his students to wash his feet. Yet here was the rabbi, and more than a rabbi, washing his disciples' feet. It really was unbelievable. We understand how shocking this is when Jesus gets to Peter. He was not having any of it. Lord, you will never wash my feet. Peter pulls back and he moves his feet away. He voices the most defiant no possible. Lord, you will never under any circumstance at any time or pace ever wash my feet. This was certainly not the work of the Messiah. Messiahs do not serve they rule. This just makes no sense. But Jesus had a chilling response for Peter as he takes Peter's feet in his hand and he firmly pulls them back towards himself. Unless I wash your feet, Peter, you have no part with me. It was Jesus' way of saying, this is who I am, Peter. I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life away for the sake of others. Unless you can accept me for who I am, you have no part with me. Then Jesus gently pulls Peter's feet towards him and says, give me your feet. Maybe at this point, Jesus lets go of Peter's feet and begins to move on to the next disciple or move back to the table. This stunning revelation requires that Peter reboot his whole understanding. And maybe Jesus gives him a moment to take it all in. No sword or spear, no charging stallions, no insurrection as Peter was hoping for, no driving the Romans into the sea. What's more, if Peter and the disciples find Jesus' servanthood hard to swallow, the next 24 hours will be unimaginable. Jesus will hang suspended between heaven and earth with nails in his wrists and his feet, crown of thorns on his brow, and a spear in his side his arms outstretched as if to take the whole world in his embrace, saying, this is how much I love you. I give my life for you. Now the foot washing and the Last Supper are both meant to demonstrate the meaning of Jesus's life and death. He is the suffering servant who is willingly washing feet, and as demonstrated the nature of his call and sacrifice, To sacrifice his life for the sake of others. Then in the last supper he took bread and he broke it as we've just done saying this is my body broken for you. Then he took the wine saying this is my blood the covenant poured out for you. This is who I am Peter who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life away and if you can't accept me for who I am you have no part with me. But there's more when he has finished washing the disciples feet He stands before them and this is what he says If I your Lord and Savior wash your feet you also should wash one another's feet For I have set you an example that you all also should do as I have done to you If you know these things you are blessed to do them not blessed if you know them but blessed if you do them. We all have broken parts of ourselves that we'd rather not let anyone else see. For the disciples, this was the case as well. In that room with Jesus that night, there were hearts full of contradiction. There were folks saying all the right things outwardly, but inwardly plotting great evil. That was Judas. There were people that with the best of intentions but when push came to shove in the days ahead, fear would get the best of them, and they'd do the very thing they promised to never do. That's Peter. Later on that night, Jesus would tell the group that one of you is going to betray me. He was talking about Judas, but apparently Judas wasn't the obvious choice. John writes that his disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. Often I'll read that line, and my tendency is to think the disciples were confused and looking around because they're all sure it won't be them. They're all sure they're not the ones who are going to turn their backs on Jesus. As I've been thinking about those last moments of Jesus, though, I couldn't help but think, what if they're confused because deep down they're all wondering the same thing? Is it me? Deep down they're asking, am I the one? Does he know about the things I've done? Does he know about my doubts? Has he ever heard about the things from my past that I have such deep regret and shame over? Does he know the places my thoughts sometimes drift that I would be ashamed if anyone found out? Is it me? For many of us, our greatest fear is that we will be found out, that our dirty, grimy feet will be exposed. The fear is not just the exposure, but that such an exposure will leave us unloved. Perhaps this is why when it's Peter's turn to have his feet washed, he puts up a fight. He insists that Jesus stay away. He says, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus tells Peter, I have to wash your feet. It won't make sense to you right now, but in a few days it will become clear. In a few days when you're at your lowest moments. In a few days when you've denied knowing me, your friend and teacher. In a few days when you're feeling more ashamed than you've ever felt in your life. In a few days when you feel alone and unworthy of love, you will be glad I washed your feet. You will need this moment, this moment here when the worst of you was exposed and you were loved In that place you'll need this moment where you know i love all of you not just your clean hands or your presentable faces but all of you not just your achievements or your intellect or your witness i love all of that but i love your feet see that's fully loving that's loving to the greatest possible extent that's loving to the end now peter Give me your feet." I bet each of the disciples had a moment that night that they knew they were loved. I wonder if even Judas, the infamous betrayer, had a moment in which he realized Jesus loved him to the very core. Jesus loved him even in the conflicted, contradictory, misled parts of Judas with an extraordinary love. Do you know that love? Jesus says to everyone, Give me your feet do you know how to share that love we must now say to others just like jesus give me your feet the night before jesus wasn't running away he wasn't preparing for battle he wasn't plotting his revenge instead he was with the ones he loved the most the ones who loved him but who weren't perfect the ones who knew who he was and what he had done and who would witness uh, about his life after he was gone. And that's where the word Monday comes in. Because what do you do if you're Jesus? What do you do if you know you are not going to be around much longer? And you have to tell people you love the most, the ones who followed you, the ones who sometimes make big mistakes, how to keep moving in the right direction when you're gone the word monday comes from a latin word mandatum and mandatum means mandate or commandment and when we talk about monday thursday we're talking about mandate thursday we're talking about the night that christ told his disciples exactly what he expected of them and if you read a book or watch a movie about almost anyone else You might think the lead character right now would be saying something like, avenge my death, or make sure there's payback, or don't let them get away with this. It's time to strike back. But this isn't any other story. This is a story that turns everything on its head. The mandate, the mandatory thing Jesus tells us to do in this passage is this. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It probably won't do well at the box office. It would not get a good rating. The story wouldn't soar to the top of the New York Times bestseller list today, but it's a story that transcends all those things. Because it's the beginning of a story about what happens when the world does its worst through violence and hatred and fear, and yet love wins anyway. It's a story of love that was rejected and buried and yet was still too strong to stay in the ground. It's not my job to rename Christian Holy Days, but if it were, I might change the name of Monday Thursday. I might change it From this word that none of us really know anymore to something that we would all understand. Something like, love one another Thursday. Or, the last thing Christ really wanted us to know Thursday. Because this message is for Christians and all of us need to hear it. We don't need to hide it behind a fancy term. We don't need to just check it off as another night of Holy Week. We need to hear that this is how Christ said other people would know us, by how we love one another. Maybe it would help us remember. Maybe it would help us remember not just what this night is about, but maybe it would help us remember what it means to be a Christian. And maybe if we always had that reminder in the front of our heads, Christ's dream for all of us would come true. So between the commotion and the celebration of Palm Sunday, and the noise and the celebration of Easter, let things get profoundly personal. Let yourself be loved with a love that shakes up the ordinary, a love that loves to the utmost, a love that reaches deep into the shadows and the contradictions, and loves in that place and then after you stand firmly in that love, go. Go to others with the same love and servanthood as Jesus did for his disciples and does for us. May we be blessed not only to know what Jesus has done for us, but blessed to do them. May we all live with the spirit of Monday Thursday, the mandate to love. Give me your feet. Amen.